Hey, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it is late on Sunday, November 23rd, early Monday, November 24th. We're approaching that midnight uh, hour. And this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Brought to you by Squarespace. Look, recently launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. If you want to try it, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off. That's Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. Okay, this is uh, my second full night at home uh, since the season actually started. I've been to Annapolis for the Veterans Classic. That's where I got started. Then Richmond for two days with Shaka Smart's VCU Rams. Then in Indianapolis for the Champions Classic. Then in New York for two nights of television. Lots, lots of uh, neat storylines already developing in college basketball. And here to help me talk about them, Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini. Norlander, how are you? I'm good. It's good to see you, buddy. We actually briefly saw each other over the weekend when you were in New York doing TV duty. I was there uh, doing the 2K Classic and the Coaches versus Cancer uh, in MSG in Brooklyn, so I'm back home. We'll uh, go back into New York for the Legends on Tuesday and the NIT Semis, I think, Wednesday. But uh, it's been a solid a solid past few days. I mean, we've had a lot of, you know, a lot of teams take on some bad losses, so um, it's been uh, it's been interesting, and Sam's been Getting used to the the night court regimen as well. We've been splitting duty on that, so uh, plenty to talk about. Sam, things good on the West Coast? Yeah, definitely. We need to get some uh, better preseason or early season tournaments out here. I think. Oh, out west? Hey, did they still do the one in Anaheim over Thanksgiving or no? Um, I'm not they, sure about that one. They, they do it. Remember, it got changed to the Wooden Legacy because they combined two different tournaments. So that's really the only one and it's like always like decent but you have that and but everyone that you know is usually big goes to hawaii yeah so. yeah the, it's the best decent, one that- but it's not it's never been great i went to it a few years back and like the other thing is like it's poorly supported or like there are no fans there at least like um you know the one down in orlando like you know you get fans for that and maui of course is always you know packed but the one in anaheim i remember i remember feeling like i was the only person in the gym yeah exactly and it's well, yeah, we have varying, and we actually, we'll get kind of this highlighted again each year. It's it's the uh, it's the weird dichotomy with college basketballs because sometimes you can get some really good matchups because of just the nature of the tournaments and and what they do and how they pit certain teams against each other. But you might get a matchup between a 16th ranked team and a 23rd ranked team, and the gym will be 75% empty because of the location. Really, Maui is always a good TV watch. The Bahamas is a weird TV watch, but the teams are always so good, and it's right. usually packed because it's in such a tiny spot. Puerto Rico, which West Virginia just beat UConn in Sunday night, that was actually fairly well attended. Orlando, where GP's going, that's good. But a lot of these other ones, man, you can get these weird games and where it's like brutal, like they're just empty seats as far as the eye can see. All right, let's get into it. So I, like I said, we've uh, completed 10 days of the season so far. And I think Kentucky undeniably is the biggest story in the country because it's number one in the country and because it's Kentucky and because they seem overwhelming. But we've talked so much about the Wildcats over the past week. I actually want to start somewhere else, specifically with Duke. I saw Duke last Tuesday um, in Indianapolis. Norlander, you were with the Blue Devils uh, live Friday and Saturday night. And then, of course, I think Sam and I both watched last night's game from the uh, comfort of our couches, or at least that's where I was. You like what you've seen from Duke so far, Matt? I do. Okay, I do. So a few takeaways on Duke. One, I wrote a column on Justice Winslow because yep. he's uh, a freak, man. I mean, uh, he's 
he's got a lot of tools and he can get so much better. And my thing with Justice Winslow is this, is he's a guy who I think a lot of fans just did not know about because, one, it's a freshman and a lot of freshmen, if you're not like a top three or four name, you're not going to know about him coming into the season. So I think a lot of fans in general are like, okay, who is this? He was the other guy with Okafor and Jones. Correct. For most fans. Yes, exactly. Um, so he's got a skill set and a body he, that is tremendous. There's, you know, in talking with um, both writers and, and just scouts at the game and people who do this, like, you know, Jonathan Gavoni, it's becoming clearer and clearer that if Justice Winslow can establish that he is a reliable mid-range to deep-range shooter, he will be an undeniable top five pick. And that's in my opinion, not very common when you come into a season with a freshman that's not well known. This it might be knee jerk, and I'm totally uh, willing to accept that maybe, you know, Duke winning five games in eight days and Winslow clearly taking a little bit of love from Okafor, rightfully so. Maybe in a month from now, Winslow is just a really good player, but you know, isn't as good offensively as we might think. Point is this: he played point guard in high school and AU some of the time. He has tremendous handle. He can get up and down the floor, body everyone. I'm just, I walked away from those two games in Brooklyn absolutely in love with what he can do. And Duke in general, they were my title pick. Okafor has been good, not great. You know, it, it, it was something that really didn't make headlines or stories, but I will say that Okafor physically got serious pushback from, uh, from both opponents he played against. I mean, Temple, although they lost by 20, Swatted three or four of his shots. They he at one point was two for nine in the game overall. Um, so while Okafor is clearly you know an amazing talent and could very well be the number one pick, I think the big thing with Duke is that they've got so many options right now. And even like Rashid Suleiman, who I'll be honest, like whose pro prospects are getting killed by the role he's been reduced to because of a guy like Winslow, but he seems to be accepting almost like a glue guy type role. When you've got someone as good as Suleiman doing that and Quinn Cook is suddenly just bawling the hell out in GP, you were right about him. I know you're huge on Cook and he's looked fantastic. He's probably been overall their best strictly offensive player. Um, hard not to like Duke. I mean, if we want to go Kentucky, clearly on one line, that's fine. But I would think we should go Duke and Gonzaga right there below them in terms of teams, their entire resume, what they've shown so far this season. I think that's fair. I guess my only issue would be this. How do, if, if averaging 16 and 8 through your first five games as a college basketball player is good, not great, what, like what standard are we holding these kids to? <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's, no, it's, no, I, it's, it's simply like I saw, like, no, I, I hear you. I just, yeah. and because I heard that from other people last night, like I tweeted, hey, Okafor's been great. And they were like, he's okay. I'm like, he's getting 16 and 8, first five games for a top five team. And in the last two games, or two of the last three games were against Stanford, which I think is a borderline top 25 team. And then, of course, yes. against Michigan State earlier in the week I'm like you know if 16 and 8 in your first five games doesn't do it for people like I'm like shit none of these kids got a chance Sam I'll let you hop in here but I do want to make one quick note and I tweeted this last night so he um Okafor played against Stefan Nastich who's a big man yeah kind of like a an awkward looking typical like the prototype for Stanford white center but the point is like Okafor had that line you're mentioning and he didn't look tremendous no, and he's he's only going to play maybe three or four more opponents, Wisconsin coming up soon here, in terms of having a guy in the middle that can actually challenge him. So that was Okafor, not at his absolute best. Again, he's probably just going to be in for a monster. It was funny, like last night on Twitter, I got some people saying, you know, he had problems tonight scoring over length. You know, so I'm like, well, okay, fine. Like I acknowledge that. I watched the game. Um, How many times is he going to have to play against somebody that, that has that kind of length? 
Like, not not very. It's a little bit like when Kobe was in his prime. Every shooting guard that would come to the NBA, like when you're trying to pick him apart, they'd say, well, you know, I mean, how can he guard Kobe? Well, he's going to – he won't. He, he'll, 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 get, he'll get worked by Kobe two nights out of 82, and then he's got 80 more games, so he should be fine. And so um, – but, but I do hear you. Like, um, you know, the, the numbers are the numbers, but, I, 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 you know, he, he struggled in moments. That, that's undeniable. Foul trouble, of course, has been – an issue a couple of times, at least early in this season. Sam, take it back to Winslow for a second because everybody got excited in the Stanford game about the block, you know, where he jumped over the Stanford. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but but if I'm an NBA scout, the end to end is the is the one that makes me really perk up. Like, okay, you know, to jump over somebody and and block a shot, um, like that shows you're an unbelievable athlete, but that's really all it shows that you're an unbelievable athlete. But when you can grab a ball at one end of the court and basically hit pause on your DVR, and there's 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 roughly you know there's eight or nine guys in front of him, and he he beats them all down the court, handles it with both hands, six foot six, tremendous body, tremendous athleticism, and he's making that play. Like that's the one. If I'm an NBA scout, it makes me go, okay, maybe maybe this is the kid that goes, you know, Okafor goes one. Let maybe this kid goes top. Top five, right? Yeah, I've been incredibly high on Winslow, like from the time I saw him playing what he's played with Team USA so many times that I've kind of lost track of the tournaments. But uh, yeah, I've been in love with him since I saw him play in those tournaments. Uh, he's, like you said, six foot six long. I had him at sixth on my big board, like this summer, even. Like I've been as high as can possibly be on Justice Winslow, and he's absolutely lived up to the hype. And even a little bit more, the shot looks a little bit better than I thought it was. I think that right now he would be fifth on my big board and he's just an incredible athlete. Like you look at I just the way that he moves with the ball, like you said, like I didn't remember him being able to dribble up and down the floor like right. that. Like I didn't remember, like I remembered his ability to defend, but like I didn't think that he was the athlete that can jump over a guy while blocking a shot. Like right. I thought he was a really, really, really good athlete, but I didn't think he was that. He looks absolutely incredible so far. I think he is the thing that is most surprising about Duke because I thought he would fit more into like a role, like defender, 10 points a game guy. But no, he's just a star right now. Yeah, I talked to him for a pretty good while after the Michigan State game. And, um, you know, I, I... you know, he, he, so I, I just wanted to confirm with him that my eyes weren't lying to me. And in that game, he guarded the, the one through the four position. He guarded a, a point, a two, a three, and a four, right? Which is a pretty, you, I think sometimes people throw these things out all the time. Like, oh, he could play all five positions. Like there's probably only one dude in the world who can play all five positions. It's LeBron James, right? Mm-hmm, but yeah. you hear that kind of stuff all the time. And, or like, oh yeah, he can guard all the positions. And then you, you actually look at it and you go, no, he can guard wings or he can guard points or he can guard. But Winslow can genuinely guard four positions. I, I, I you know, and, and like, if you threw him on a six, nine center, I bet you'd figure out how to guard that too. So he's, um, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a, a, a special talent. The other thing I, I noticed about him, and I wouldn't pretend to know him well, but and so maybe that's why I never noticed this before. But when we were talking the other night, you know, like Duke, at least in that Michigan State game, they are starting three freshmen, but they don't look young. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They don't look like a young basketball team. They very poised, very poised. And so I was just sort of going, you know, going back and forth with him about. You know, like last year, Kentucky played on this stage and they were young, like you guys are young now. And I know it was a little different because like at least Quinn's a senior and Emil Jefferson's older and I got all that. But 
you know, I said, but they, they looked young. I said, you guys don't look young. Like, why, why is it that the Harrisons and Julius and those guys all struggled early? And really, I say early, all the way through March, really, but, or through February. But, but you guys don't seem bothered at all by any of this. And he said, and I don't think he meant it as a shot, but, he, but these are his words. We're not the Harrisons. You know, we're not Julius. Like, we all understand our roles. We all accept our roles. We all want to do what it is we're supposed to do for this team. We know that primarily we're supposed to get the ball to Jaleel. We know that Tyus is our point guard. We know that I'm going to try to lock down the other team's best perimeter defender and get out in transition. And we and, and Quinn knows that now Tyus is the guy who's going to run things, so he's going to be more of a shooter. And everybody accepted everything pretty early on. And again, I don't think he meant it as a shot at Kentucky, but he did say – we're not the Harrisons, which I thought was pretty interesting. Like, it might have taken them a long time to accept their roles, but it hasn't taken us long at all. Is that what you saw up close Friday and Saturday, Matt? Yeah, I did. Um, and I also spoke with um, uh, Laura Keeley is a Duke Beak writer. Sure. Um, and she... Uh, she is a Duke. She is a beat writer who is unafraid to basically write about anything with any team. She's she's fearless in that way. And last year, she was consistent throughout in saying that she did not like the look of that team. They often played scared. Um, they just didn't have gumption, whatever you want to say. And lo and behold, they get beat by Mercer. Um, was talking with her and a few others um, after the game uh, against Stanford and. You know, it was just kind of a consensus and just the composure and the composite of this team looks so good. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you've got these three freshmen who have played USA basketball. They've all known each other. I mean, I asked Jaleel last night and he said he's known Justice since he was, he thinks, 11. Um, and obviously he's got such a tight uh, relationship with Tyus. I think that can go a long way t to this. And um, yeah, I, I just... Uh, to me, what, what, what Duke has and what they have like in a player like Justice Winslow, like they might have had it with Dante Jones to some degree. And Krzyzewski said, someone asked him last night and he said, you know, who does he maybe remind you of? And he, he didn't say he was as good as these players, but he's like, he could be as good as a Tommy Amaker or Grant Hill. Those are the two names he mentioned. To me, that kind of speaks volumes because Krzyzewski really does not speak in any sort of um, – hyperbole in that kind of regard. He's very careful with his words, so I thought that was um, that pretty outstanding. And to me, you know, just a grander takeaway, it's good that we're getting Kentucky looking ridiculous and only having Montana State score 28 on him. Duke looking very good. Gonzaga leading 60-11 to 11 against St. Joe's. I like that we're getting bombastic, ridiculous performances out of these known teams early so we can at least have some momentum and storylines as we head into December. I'm glad you mentioned Gonzaga. I am working on a Gonzaga column for maybe Tuesday. And so I talked to Kevin Pangos today uh, for, for a little while. And did you realize this? 24 assists, no turns. That's where he's at right now. Oh, oh man. Did not even realize it. 24 man. Wow. assists, yeah. zero turns on the season. And I, I think – Sort of the the idea of the column. I mean, you guys know, but I don't really know exactly where it's going to go. I, I kind of have an idea until I sit down and start working on it. But uh, what sort of made me interested in maybe writing about the Zags is that um, the other night when they were just beating St. Joe's brains in, like in a way that you just don't see. It's like forty eight to ten at the half, and um, so I tweet something along the lines of 
uh, like, hey, this this might be Mark's most balanced team and, and best in a team best equipped to, you know, to 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 get to a Final Four. Now, I think he's had teams in the past good enough to get to a Final Four. The Morrison team was good enough. The one seed a couple years ago was good enough, as as everybody knows, or I think most people understand. Um, just because you're good enough to get the Final Four doesn't mean you're going to get there based on the way that the tournament's set up. But still, I just get hit with immediately. You say that about Gonzaga every year, and then they get in the tournament and they get bounced. Is that the consensus among casual basketball fans about Gonzaga? Win a lot of games, nice little program, put them in the tournament, they're going to lose early. Like, is is that a fair rap? And is or is let's start a step further back. Is is that the actual rap? Is is what I heard from fans? Is that what you guys would hear as well if you tweeted the same thing? Sam, I've gotten it a few times. Yeah. 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 Yeah, without a doubt. Um, to a certain extent, I guess it's warranted. Uh, I remember because I was actually there, guys, when Gonzaga got beat by Wichita State. So like that night, I, just, I had to write off the tournament, obviously. And I I wrote basically like, listen, you know, this is just unfortunate. What Mark Few does, I mean, they've won. 15 of the past 16 years, they've either won the regular season title or the West Coast Conference Tournament title. And that's just like, I don't care what league you play in. That's insane. Okay. And I know Bill Self's won 12 straight Big 12, and that's even just as, if not even more insane. But because of that, because Gonzaga's, it's this weird, this weird backlash toward like, you know, guaranteed success in your league. And the West Coast Conference has certainly had. With regularity, at least one team in most of those years that were tournament worthy and have challenged Gonzaga just because they're automatically going to get to the tournament and they can't get to the final four. There's this huge stigma behind it. And I've had a few pretty thoughtful Gonzaga fans, you know, after I wrote that, they either emailed me or mentioned me on Twitter. And I guess it kind of stuck with me. And they said that there's this this sense that like the Gonzaga fans just wished they felt like the program cared more about reaching a final four, which to me is like, I guess I get what you're saying. And Paris, we've talked on this podcast about how few is just really one of the best guys in the business because he can, he can not overreact to a win or a loss. And that can be a real coaching strength. Um, but this is what he unfortunately has built Gonzaga into a really respectable program inside the business. And for casual fans, Gonzaga has gone from that team with the funny name that you think will win in the tournament to the guarantee to be in the tournament and they're frauds until they get to a final four. It's not fair, but I think it's what it is. I think it's totally unfair. I think it's interesting though, that you say there are some Gonzaga fans who are actually frustrated by it because I mean, I get being frustrated by it, but like, I think one of the things that makes Mark just terrific, like in terms of his life balance, is that he is he is better, I don't want to say than anybody, but certainly better than most um, that, and, and probably almost anybody. If there's somebody better, I don't know who they are. Um, at understanding perspective and, and not getting caught up in the outcome of any single 40-minute basketball game. So I think the Final Four was in Atlanta a couple years ago when they were the one seed. I think that, like... Does that make sense? They were the one, yeah, because Wichita State was in the Final Four in Atlanta. Correct. That's yes. right. Okay. Yeah. Like I like I was just walking down the street in Atlanta, and there was Mark walking with his son, right? And um, and I had earlier in that year been to uh, Spokane and and had met his son then, and so his his son remembered, and so we were just all sort of chit chatting, and it's it, you do sort of feel like and it 
again, it's all in my head. Like I'm projecting onto Mark because I felt like a little uncomfortable. Like I didn't even want to bring it up, you know, because I'm like, oh, he's probably all down in the dumps and it, um, you know, because, or he probably is thinking, oh, well, God parishes, you know, probably looking at me like, you know, God, here goes Mark Few again, wins 30 games, but can't get to the final four. Again, I'm projecting because that's the way I would be. I would be thinking everywhere I go, people go, oh, there's the guy that wins all the games, but gets bounced in the NCAA tournament. And so I'm, you know, finally, you're just like, yeah, man, that was a tough loss. And, you know, and he was like, you know, great season though. Like, like we won 30 whatever games and then Wichita State gets hot and they make, you know, whatever many three-pointers Wichita State made in that game. It was like, they got hot in the second half. And, and uh, he's like, you know, that's just the way it goes. Like, you know, whatever. Well, you know, we had a great year and, and then we'll go try to do it again next year. And I was like, that is absolutely the proper way to view it. But it must be a little weird when your fans sort of hold it against you that you aren't as broken up about never making a Final Four as 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 they seem to be. I, that's a weird dynamic to me. But um, I, I would say this. The only part that frustrates me is that that type of thing is the same thing people say about everybody until it's over. Like, you know, like, I remember when Bill Self couldn't get to a Final Four. You remember? Like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. he, he can win mm-hmm. a bunch of games, and then he goes to the lead eight, or, you know, then he loses to Northern I- whatever. Like, you know, th- there was a time where Bill Self was the guy who can't get to a Final Four. And then he guy won the whole thing. And I think he's been to another Final Four since then. And there was, you know, John Calipari. Yeah, John Calipari couldn't win the big one. Remember yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that bothers me because they're like, Across sports, that just, that just bothers me because there are like big games all the time that coaches win, but you don't you don't win a well, title. You can't thing, win the big one. Like that's the, just the so dumbest stupid. thing about that was he had the big one won until Mario Chalmers hit a ridiculous three pointer. Like what do you th- like to say somebody can't do something when when literally the only thing that prevented them from doing it is like a, the uh, you know one of the most memorable shots in NCAA tournament history is just like <laughs> fundamentally silly to me. Um, Bo Ryan, remember when he couldn't get to a Final Four? Great system, mm-hmm. wins a lot of games, but you'll never get to a Final Four with that system, except like, you know, there we all were last year. So I, I honestly, I think that Gonzaga and Mark are exactly in, in the same category as any of those. They, to say they can't do it is stupid. To, to if, if the only reason you're saying they can't do it is because they haven't, because like Roy Williams, remember when he couldn't win national championships? Now he has two. <laughs> So yeah. like I, I you know I'm not guaranteeing you Mark's going to get to a Final Four before he retires, but if if you told me he was going to coach another 15 years because he's certainly young enough to do it, um, I would bet that he does. And I and to get back to my initial point, this team I think is equipped to do it. They've got balance. They've but more than anything, and this is the thing Pangos pointed out. He wouldn't really get into a conversation about is this better than the one seed, you know, because he was like, listen, Kelly was great that year, and and um, you know, whatever. But um, he did say this team is unlike any other team I've been a part of because we have people who can score and pass at every position. Like there, you know, there is there is a scorer and a passer at every single position. And Byron Wesley provides something on the wing that they haven't really had recently. Um, they've got shooters. They've got a point guard who takes care of the ball. They've got um, experience guard play. And I talked to Dan Dickow as well, who's obviously one of the great Gonzaga points. And he did say this is Mark's most balanced team. He said, even my team that that was really good, you know, we had holes. The Morrison team had holes. Even the Olenek team had had holes. He said, this one, I don't know that they have any holes. And so um, I don't know. I'm like, I'm a believer in this Gonzaga team. And I recognize there are going to people, tw- you know, comment underneath this podcast and say, 
you say that every year, but like whatever. Like I, you know, I have eyeballs and and uh, and access to box scores. They look like a legit top ten team. I mean, I I, I don't know how anybody. Top can... five, I would say top five: I... Kentucky, Arizona, Duke, Wisconsin, Gonzaga. Draw a line. Yeah, yeah, yep. I, yeah. I think that's I think that's fine. I think that's fine. So uh, anyway, like I. I I'll write it later on this week. Then we can we can waste some more words on it. Then remember, Sam's learning that sometimes Parrish likes to talk through his columns before he actually. <laughs> I did this. I actually did. Remember the Scott Drew column last year? Before yes. I wrote it, like we we basically talked it through on this podcast. So yeah, yeah this is this is un, undeniably what I do. Remember uh, today's Eye on College Basketball podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is now redesigned with Squarespace Seven interface, including integration with Google Apps. Partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates and cover pages, and Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Everything starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, and every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look great on every device every time. Start a free trial with no credit card required. Uh, You can get to building your website today, and when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, Make sure to use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support for the Eye on College Basketball podcast. It's Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. All right, let's do some news and notes presented by Squarespace. Let's start with this one. How badly will Texas miss Isaiah Taylor? Sam, you want to take it? Yeah, um, they're going to miss him a lot. I'm, I'm not huge on Felix. I think that he's going to struggle a little bit to initiate offense. Their offense looked like it got bogged down in that uh, second game. They played this weekend. Uh, Isaiah Taylor is probably one of, it's weird to say this, he's one of the most important players in the country because they need someone who can get the ball to those bigs. They have all of that talent in the front court. And if you can't get the ball to them, you're kind of wasting it away, especially someone like Cameron Ridley who has to get the ball in the post. I mean, you need someone like Taylor to initiate that offense. And I think that he, like I said, just might be one of the most important players in the country. You know what gets lost in this Norlander is that everybody talks about what it'll mean for Texas, and listen, I, it, it's it's tough. You can't, you know, how many teams? I actually was going to look this up. How many teams lose their primary ball handler for an extended amount of time and like are okay? The Duke team when they lost Kyrie, that's that's the only one I can think of, right? Mm, yeah, I'm I mean they were okay without Kyrie; they were fine. They also had Nolan Smith, too, right? I know, which right? is like crazy. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. that that usually can't get it. I mean. We'll see what Felix can do. Um, Texas is super interesting to me. I'm going to see them, uh, you know, in six days uh, when they play at UConn. Taylor won't be available for that game. Um, if they can win that game, which I think they're capable of, but no guarantee, um, I think that would be huge for them just down the road. I think that's a that's a huge resume boosting win. But it is tough. I, I really like Taylor's game, and he is considered. I was talking to a few uh, Texas assistants after. Uh, he injured the wrist on a, a weird play against Iowa on Thursday, and they said, you know, he's the toughest guy on the team. Like he, like he's, they're not, they weren't given lip service. They're like, he is the toughest guy we have, and for him to have really been holding it the way he did, icing it, they weren't confident by any means he would play the next night. You know, they had to wait for X-rays to confirm that. So. It's to me, it's the big injury news so far to the season to date. We'll see what Texas can do without him, uh, but I would say that he's pretty vital. Well, here's the point I was I was going to make is that um, it also has an effect on the you know possibility of Kentucky trying to go undefeated, right? Because if you ask people mm. where where would Kentucky be threatened, I think everybody says at Louisville, like you know clearly. 
Um, but the other one was like Texas because they got size up front and they still will have the size up front. But suddenly Kentucky gets to play um, a Texas team without Isaiah Taylor. That's big for Kentucky, right, Sam? Yeah, I definitely think it is. Uh, I said on Friday that I think they should be the favorite in the Big 12 right now if they get Taylor back and he's healthy. Like, I know that Kansas has won for the last decade. Sure. But that team has experience with Holmes and with Ridley. They have game-breaking talent with Taylor They have, and Holmes. And then there's that X factor with Miles Turner, who is blocking shots just everywhere. And he, I've noticed that a lot of people have said that like he's – maybe not the prospect they thought he was uh, coming into the year just because he has like a strange running gait, but he <laughs> runs the floor really well, even if he has that strange running gait. There's a play against, uh, who who's the second game they played? It's just totally blanking on me right now. Mm, Cal? Was it? Yeah, it was Cal. Okay. He literally sprinted the entire floor on like a transition opportunity and broke up a pass. Like, the kid can really play. I think he's going to be awesome near the end of the year. He has the three-point shot down already. Um, and Jonathan Holmes, man, what more can you say about him in that entire 2K Classic? He took that team on his back. He dropped 11 in a row in the uh, first game to really put that game, well, not really on ice, but like he really, really stretched out that lead uh, going into the second half. It was really incredible. I think that they're probably the strongest team because – we don't know what Kansas is going to get out of those freshmen right now. Like, I have no idea. I couldn't begin to tell you. No, no, let me ask you this. Is the Big East better than we realized? I think everybody knew Villanova was going to be good because they returned all these important pieces from a team that won a whole bunch of games last year. But after that, like, you know, like, do you like Georgetown? I don't know. St. John's? Whatever. But Georgetown's still undefeated right now, even though uh, Devontae Smith-Rivera isn't playing very well. But Creighton got a win over Oklahoma. Providence got wins over Florida State and Notre Dame. Uh, the Big East looks okay, right? looks it does look okay and i'm a georgetown believer i think that's a team that can be a i'm saying it you know so far out but that would be a sweet 16 sleeper type pick just capable of doing it if not favored to do it um villanova is going to get a very interesting test in a couple days against vcu uh that will be the game because it's so big uh legends classic If, if nova can do that I think that would be the biggest win that would people would start talking. And we're, listen, we're ahead of the curve, guys. We're talking about it before it's in vogue. But Providence is huge wins, obviously. Uh, the only losses in the conference right now are actually to Marquette, right? I think those yeah. are the, uh, that's the only team that's actually even lost. Creighton's obviously look good, taking care of Oklahoma, coming back and winning. Uh, Butler, without its head coach, uh, um, its current coach anyway, uh, Brandon Miller, and we don't know what's going to happen there. It's just been a nice start for a league. That really needs to, and this is way big picture, but you know, it needs to establish that it's good for four bids approximately each year, just to kind of maintain its relevance and a little bit of its shine. We're so far away from even seeing if that's going to be possible this year, but you get off to a start like this, it's good because I'll spin this just a little bit, guys. We don't have to break down all these games, or whatever. But there've been a lot of really random, awful awful losses across college basketball. I mean, the SEC chief among them. I mean, you've got LSU losing games. It shouldn't. South Carolina is below 500 already. Ole Miss, Missouri, Auburn. You know, I know some of these teams aren't expected to be good, and the bottom of the SEC can be kind of brutal. But um, Kentucky's been – yeah, no, Kentucky's been great. Florida's already taken a loss. And then forget the loss to Miami because Miami seems legit. I mean, they they blew Charlotte out tonight um, and and to move to 5-0. But the – 
you know, to go to overtime with <laughs> Louisiana Monroe at home, was that who it was? Louisiana Monroe? Yeah. Okay, like, okay. Let's, no, no, uh, yeah, we will say, you know, three starters are out, but still, like, you're Florida at home. You're like, Florida at home. You should be going to overtime with Louisiana Monroe. And so, like, Florida's very questionable right now. Um, LSU took a loss to Old Dominion, which is just stupid. I mean, when you've got Jordan Mickey and Jarrell Martin, you shouldn't be losing no business to doing Old that. Dominion. Nope. And, and then, um, okay, so, like, Arkansas looks – I mean, they played nobody, but they've won all their games convincingly. Uh, Kentucky's terrific, obviously. Outside of that, man, gee, like we thought the SEC was bad last year. It's probably worse this year, <laughs> dude. It, and I know. I mean, we and loyal podcast listeners know we've we've waxed on this plenty. We've also had like, by the way, just a random one. Uh, I mean, Tim Miles is in a weird way. Got you know what? Proud. I don't even think that was a bad loss. It, was, it wasn't. It wasn't. But like Nebraska's now, and you know what, wherever. I think so that was a bad scheduled game. Good. I don't think you should have scheduled the game. I know. He goes on the road to Rhode Island, drops it in overtime, and Rhode Island's fans give the sport the first storm corner. That's not a bad loss. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Tim Miles gets Nebraska to the point where I guess students want to run on the court when they beat him. It's a little random. No, that's but, all, uh, but like <laughs> I knew when that, like I think Rhode, uh, Nebraska was like a one and a half point favorite. I mean, it's basically yeah, a coin four. flip game, right? And so, but I knew the way it was registered. Like, oh, hey, finally Nebraska, you know, was uh, playing with expectations, and then they go out and lose at Rhode Island. And I get it. Like you're, you're supposed, they were a one and a half point favorite. You're supposed to win the game, but you know, that's not like. Um, you know, some of these other losses that we've seen. I mean, that's, you know, that, that was a, I would agree. that was probably a, a, a scheduling error more than it was a, a, a bad loss, but whatever. Well, I mean, just, you know, just uh, like Clemson's taking bad losses. Florida state looks just God awful. Right. Manhattan and now has lost so Northeastern bad. Providence and UMass are solid teams. Don't get me wrong, but Florida state who was considered maybe a tournament team, they don't look good by any means. Virginia tech. I mean, Buzz Williams, that was not a good loss. He beat. He lost to Appalachian State on Saturday. So we just have seen, and a lot of these are kind of bottom tier, whatever. Um, but there were just maybe I just have a short memory, but it seemed like there were more major conference teams taking losses to like legitimately bad programs where than you, what we're really used to. Where you at on West Virginia? Five and zero now. Got a win over UConn. That was shorthanded UConn because um, I think like Kevin Ollie suspended like four dudes before tip off. Um, they were down in Puerto Rico. West Virginia didn't just beat them, basically, you know, held a double-digit lead for, for most of the game. And, um, again, who knows what it means, but they are 5-0, and and this has come after Hugs has missed the NCAA tournament each of the past two years. That was the first time he had missed the tournament in consecutive years, I think since 1990 and 91. And so, you know, counting on Hugs to be there in March was probably one of the uh, surest things in college basketball until the last two years. So uh, does he have something, does he got it back on track now? What do you think, Norlander? Uh, I think it, I think so. Right. Uh, listen, good, good start for West Virginia. And I'll let Sam kind of trampling off this in a second with his thoughts on UConn losing this game. Uh, I, I basically root for Huggins's teams just to be interesting and good because it's just more fun when he's worth talking to and his games are worth going to and reacting to. We'll see. Um, apparently, you know, the it's not even buzz, but, I, you know, his team right now this year is playing. Uh, it might have been Frischilla tweeted this. Someone tweeted that it, the style that they noticed that West Virginia has been playing is actually kind of reminiscent to the way 
Huggins ran his Cincinnati teams in terms of uh, the action that they're running and what they're doing with the big men. Not quite sure what that's going to mean, but hey, if West Virginia is going to be good, make that league, the Big 12, you know, even better. I'm all for that. But that said, Sam, you know, UConn falling, they didn't look good tonight. And um, I, we don't have to overreact by any means, but, and I know there were the four suspensions, but only one of those dudes matters. And right. That's Omar Calhoun. Overall, UConn, eh, I don't they know, in that league overall. Yeah, they haven't looked good yet. They looked good for five minutes to start the Dayton game and like seven minutes to end the Dayton game. But outside of that, I haven't been impressed with Connecticut at all, and I've watched all their games except the Bryant game. They're, I don't know what it is. It's their defense, though, that's like really struggling right now. Their rotations are kind of a mess. They allowed... Uh, West Virginia to just kind of go wild at the uh, end of the first half today. It's transition defense, and then Boatwright's getting a little bit a uh, little bit ahead of, ahead of himself a lot of the time on offense. I think, and that's leading to more transition opportunities where they have to defend uh, in transition. I guess. Um, so yeah, I haven't been impressed at all with UConn so far. Like they're they're a top twenty five team, I think, but they need to figure some things out right now. Another team got off to a, a nice little start. Really hadn't played anybody yet, but, but Ohio State's 3-0. and And D'Angelo Russell is as good as uh, – it seems to be as good as what we talked about last time we were talking on this podcast. The, the surprise to me isn't that D'Angelo Russell is awesome. It's that Shannon Scott's mm-hmm. averaging like 13 assists a game. He had 16, yeah. uh, which is a school record. Broke Aaron Kraft's school record for assists in a game. Um, I think he has now 41 on the season, so he's averaging like 13 a game. But where, like, is that? Is this obviously he's not going to average 13 assists a game? I'm not, but like, is he, like, is this real? Like, what Shannon Scott's doing? Um, I think it is. I've always been pretty high on Shannon Scott. He's now, I think he's going to be a three time now, uh, all Big Ten defensive guy. And a lot of those, he kind of was a man without a role. for a while with that Ohio State team just because of Aaron Kraft. Like, he's not a spot-up guy. He's a guy that likes to handle the ball, and he's a guy that likes to really be the one dictating. Are you strangling a dog? Yeah, no, keep it going, dog. keep it going. That's fine. Sam's got a dog, and it's barking like, like it sounds like you're trying to choke we've never had before. Like, 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 this is, like, this has turned into dog. the serial podcast. Yeah, like my six-pound, six-month-old dog thinks she's a guard dog, apparently, and she's, like, standing at the window. No, what's, what's the problem is, is your dog actually hates Shannon Scott and wants Aaron Kraft back at Ohio State. Uh, that's probably true. I mean, would not be a surprise. <laughs> Seriously, choke the dog out. <laughs> no, don't choke your dog. I have two dogs. I completely understand what you're going through. Um, Penny, Stop. <laughs> no legit like in, in a in a different time parish might be like let's let's just uh, no we need to keep this going this is this is genuine good no, podcasting I, right here no i got i have two dogs in my home and an 11 month old so trust me at some point uh, <laughs> you're gonna hear a baby cry and like like pugs snoring or barking at nothing so like uh uh, it's all good on my end. I, Sam, I do want to ask you uh, before we get done with this. You wrote about Memphis's season opening loss to Wichita State, and I thought you summarized things uh, pretty well. I'm curious, do you think the Tigers can get fixed what it is they got to get fixed, or is this ultimately a roster problem? I think it's probably a combination of both. They don't really have the guard talent, just period. Right. Uh, Burrell, the uh, what's his name, Treshawn Burrell. Treshawn Burrell, yes. Uh, yeah, he looks he looks pretty good as a wing scorer, but the problem is they just don't have a lead guard unless Pookie Powell like kind of figures it out. And uh, you might know this a little bit more than I do, but don't he and Pastner have some uh, 
past issues a little bit. Well, like he was about to transfer. Like he, yeah. he wanted some. Um, I don't want to overstate it, but they were. Yeah, I mean, he was about to transfer. That's true. And um, you know, Josh got in and, and talked him back in, got in with the dad and and uh, whatever. So it's you know, I I think they've got guard problems. I, and that's the other yeah. thing. All off season, Josh, you know, talked about how young they were in the backcourt and how before, you know, without Kedron Johnson, they had zero um, guards with any Division One experience. And and that is true. And if I were him, and I told him this, like I would say the same thing over and over again. But I don't think their problem is zero ex- D1 experience at, in the backcourt. I think the problem is they, the, the guys they got in the backcourt ain't good enough. Yeah, the guards literally don't know how to make an entry pass. Like, they against Wichita, Wichita State has – Albeit maybe the best defensive backcourt in the country, right? But they couldn't, they couldn't even like get past the three point line. It right. was part of the problem was that, like they're just not comfortable with each other. You can tell like the chemistry's off. Like they don't know the system particularly well yet on offense. Like there were moments where the spacing was an absolute train wreck. But like that that stuff will get better and that'll make it a little bit easier for them. But talent wise, I I don't think they're there. Like, I think this is still just a borderline NCAA tournament team. Well, like, I thought they could maybe be borderline top 25 good if Kedron Johnson was the Kedron Johnson we saw from two years ago at Vandy. Mm. He's not that. The problem is that they had him taking over some lead guard uh, when I saw against Wichita, at least. And that's not what he is. He's he's a guy that you want to put on the wing and let him shoot. Uh, They just don't have anyone that can take the lead guard role. No. I mean, and it is funny. I think the fans probably took Joe Jackson for granted a little bit over the past four years. Joe was flawed to his core, but, um, but, you know, he, he's still a guy who could get his own shot and get into the lane and get out in transition. And, um, you know, it seems like they miss him a lot right now because that, you know, I mean, that backcourt looked, uh, looked like a mess against uh, Wichita State. Well, it seems clear, uh, at least to Penny the dog, that we have kept you here long <laughs> enough. So, as always, I appreciate you guys being here at CBSSports.com, listening to the podcast, reading what we write, watching the videos, interacting with us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball podcast on itunes that's the quickest way to make sure you get your hands on the latest podcast so make sure to do that it's free and uh i'll talk to you again a little later on this week Take care.